Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Last Sunday, we introduced the idea of mercy as one of the big ideas in our Bible. And I shared with you that it is my belief that mercy is the primary character attribute of God. If someone asks you, what is God like? You can say, God is merciful. Hebrew scripture says this again and again and again and again and again. And and God does not appear to pick and choose to whom God is merciful. God is not merciful to some people some of the time. God is merciful to all people all of the time. And this should strike us as good news. but, But as we talked about last week, mercy is controversial. Mercy offends some of us. Mercy is unfair. It is free. It is unconditional kindness. Kindness and love where those things are not deserved. So mercy pokes holes, doesn't it? In in all of our hierarchies and all of our social stratifications, mercy is the unfair equality of love. So when Jesus comes on the scene, on the shore of Galilee, he starts talking. And the people he starts talking to most directly are the nobodies and the lowlifes. He starts healing people and, 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 and curing people of their diseases. The people that have been cast out of the community, Jesus heals them and brings them back into community. Jesus brings mercy to life. Mercy, Jesus says, is the heart of the realm of God. Through God's mercy, the the least valued person in the world is the most beloved in God's kingdom. The outsider is brought in, the insider is pushed out through the disorienting math of mercy. Blessed, Jesus said, blessed by God are those who mourn someone we have loved and lost. Blessed are those who are poor and poor in spirit. Blessed are those who manifest all kinds of weaknesses. Especially blessed, Jesus says, are the merciful. They understand the outrageous mercy of God and they will receive mercy. All this mercy flying around Jesus. And there is no more offensive story No more important story that he tells than the story about a merciful man. The story begins like this. A scholar stood up to test Jesus. Rabbi, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the scholar answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind. 
and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer, do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the scholar asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the man fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, a a member of the priestly caste, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... While traveling came near the man, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine to clean them. And then he put the man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day... The same man took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spent. Which of these three, Jesus asks, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The scholar said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it begins with a scholar. There are a couple of those in this church, aren't there, now that I think about it. Rabbi, he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This scholar is testing Jesus, but, but don't assume that he's doing something bad or wrong by testing him. This is good rabbinic dialogue. It's what I hope that you do with me, right? I say something and you, you push me and you prod me so that we might go deeper toward the truth together. The question the scholar asks is a curious question, though. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Luke's gospel, Jesus focuses a lot more on life in the kingdom of God, which may not be the same thing as eternal life. Some of you will have read ahead in Luke's gospel. In Luke 18, there's a a guy we've known as the rich young ruler. He also asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and remember, he's asking with the hope that Jesus' answer won't disrupt his current life too much. And Jesus has some bad news for him. So maybe this question about eternal life is a clue that this scholar is also due for a course correction. 
But Jesus responds to the scholar's question, not by answering it, but by asking him a question in return, right? What, he says, does the law say? What, what do you read there? Great evidence that Jesus is not a biblical literalist, right? What is written, yes, and then how do you interpret what is written? The scholar gives a beautiful answer. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That is the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. It is the heart of Judaism. And then he follows it up by saying, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's from the holiness code in Leviticus 19. Rabbi Hillel famously said about this passage, it is the whole essence of Torah, all the rest is commentary. It's a great answer. And Jesus says to the scholar, you have given the right answer, do this and you will live. Jesus affirms, That the scholar knows the right answer. He knows the way to life with God. And yet life is not just a matter of knowing. It begins with the doing. Well, now the scholar pushes Jesus for a little bit of clarity at this point. So who, who then is my neighbor, he asks. I mean, it's a fine question, right? Uh, If we are supposed to love our neighbors, we all know that we're supposed to. Who is that exactly? It's an old question. It's one of the deepest questions in Judaism. In Leviticus, the passage that the scholar has just quoted, Leviticus insists that love and kindness be shared not only with the people in our community, but also with the foreigners and the strangers who are living among us. The scholar knows this already. So he's, he's probing here, and, and he's doing something that all of us, I think if you're honest with yourself, do. To ask, who is my neighbor, is really a polite way of asking Who is not my neighbor? I mean, who who out of all these others can I rule out? Is there anyone out there who does not deserve my love? Whose lack of food and shelter can I ignore? Maybe there's not a more important question even today. Who is my neighbor, right? Who who is it? Is it the person that lives next door to me? Is it the person who's been there for a long time? Is it the person who just arrived? Is it the person on the outside waiting to come in? Are the people in the zip code with the failing school, is that my neighbor? Thank God for the scholar who presses Jesus to answer this question, because it's a question that every single one of us asks every single day of our lives. And so we wait for Jesus to answer, except except Jesus just tells a story. He begins, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the man fell into the hands of robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went away, and they left him half dead. 
poor man, he, he's not identified in any way. We do not know anything about him. We do not know who he is. We don't know where he comes from. Especially after he is stripped and, and beaten within an inch of his life, there are no markers on him to tell us anything about him. We don't know his social standing. We don't know anything. It could be any one of us. Overcome by the hardship of life. Now by chance, Jesus says, there was a priest coming down that road. And when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then a Levite, a member of the priestly caste, stops by and passes on the other side. There has been a lot of ink spilled over the years about whether or not these men should have stopped. In short, the answer is yes. Everything in Jewish law mandates Saving a life over all other concerns, even burying a corpse if they thought he was dead, should have taken precedence over any other concern. And yet, they did not stop. They were thinking of what? They were thinking of themselves. They wanted nothing to do with his suffering. And in walking by, they thumbed their noses at God. There was a famous experiment conducted in the 1970s at a place called Princeton Theological Seminary. In the experiment, future Presbyterian pastors were exposed in a classroom to this story and invited to reflect upon it. And then as part of the experiment, they were sent out to another part of campus And along the way, the people who designed the experiment made sure that they had to walk over someone who was asking them for help. Give or take, about half of these future pastors stopped to help. But as the psychologist probed the experiment, there was one factor that affected whether people stopped and helped the man who asked for help. Do you know what it was? It was whether they felt like they had time or not. The greater hurry that the people were in, the less likely they were to stop. Which suggests that you can know the right thing and you can even believe and want to do the right thing. Thing, but if you do not give yourself the time to do the right thing, you never will. Now back to our story. It is important to note that Jesus was telling this particular story to a crowd of people who were at least a little bit anti-clerical. So by the time Jesus gets to the place where the priest walks by and the Levite walks by, they are whooping it up. They are hooting and hollering and ready for the punchline because Jesus was going to tell them that it it wasn't the the hoity-toity holy men who did the will of God. It was going to be the regular guy, the regular person in the pews who understood the will of God and helped the poor man. And then Jesus says, 
It was a Samaritan who, while traveling, came near the man, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. It was a Samaritan who went to the man and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine to clean them. It was a Samaritan who put the man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, the Samaritan took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you whatever more that you spend. So this is over-the-top caregiving. This gift that this man gives is more than sufficient to meet the hurt man's needs to restore him back to life and health. And we don't know the Samaritan's financial status, but whatever it is, this is giving until it hurts. But for Jesus' listeners, they probably like never even got to that point after their jaws had dropped to the floor when Jesus said that the man who does the will of God is a Samaritan. A Samaritan, the historic enemy of the Jewish people, the neighbors who split off hundreds of years earlier over a disagreement about which holy site was right to worship God. The conflict never resolved. The enemy and enmity festered. It was a deep and visceral and reflexive kind of hatred. And it's the enemy, Jesus says, who is the hero. It's the enemy who does the will of God. Imagine you are the one in distress, financial distress, emotional distress, physical distress. Imagine someone saving you, and imagine it's the person you most revile. Which of these three, Jesus asks, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus has told us to remove all human categories. Remove all of your labels. Remove all expectations that you bring about who is deserving and who is undeserving. Remove every notion that you have about neighbor and family. Remove any notion that you have of us or them. This, he says, is about human beings. It is about suffering. And it is about what every human being is capable of, each and every one of us capable of giving life. Which was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The scholar answers Jesus, the one who shows mercy. There's no easy moral in the story. Like mercy itself, the story is designed to disturb and to provoke you. You are not even asked to be the protagonist in the story. You're not asked to go and care for the sick 
and the suffering. Your job, your only job, as Jesus tells the story, is to see yourself in the ditch. To ask what it feels like to be there. To be suspended on the edge of life and death. What does it feel like, he asks, to be saved? What if you begin to see the whole of this world from the vantage point of the ditch? How then will you understand what it means when we say that God is full of mercy? What could it mean when Jesus says to you, go and do likewise? Let the people say, Amen.